So, you know, the, geographically, I applied to LC because of my husband's job. But when I was applying for jobs nationally, I was looking for schools just like LC. I wanted a small liberal arts college. I didn't want to be at a big university. I had attended some of those, and I didn't want to be the faculty member in front of a room of 100 or 200 students. I wanted to get to know my students really well. I wanted to be in a smaller community. I like visiting big cities, but I don't like to live in them. Um, so it was just fortuitous that this job opened up here. It was exactly what I was looking for. Um, Hey, OSP fans, and welcome back to another week of the show. We're happy to be joined today by Dr. Amy Canfield, a professor of history at Lewis Clark State College. In addition to doing her part to make the social sciences division truly amazing, she is also a member of the Historic Sites Review Board of Idaho and the organizer of Women's History Month activities on campus. She's also the advisor of the college's Women in Lasting Leadership Club. Amy shares with us what she loves about teaching at LC and some of the challenges they are facing with the upcoming semester. We should also be sure to mention that Dr. Canfield isn't just a fan of the king, she might be the biggest fan of the king. For that and more, stay tuned. Thank you very much. Welcome to the show, Dr. Amy Canfield. Um, Amy Canfield is a professor at Lewis Clark State College, and she happens to be one of my favorite professors. Um, and she's here to talk about LC and hopefully a myriad of other things. So welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's exciting. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, I was never, well, able to take any of your classes. I started at the community college, and then by the time I got to LC, I tried to get done in three years, and I was on the math and science side, so I never got to take any of your courses. Well, this will be a nice little substitute then. Yeah. I've got a preview into the crazy. But I was looking through the list of courses. You know, <laughs> we need to look into the crazy. I was looking through the, the list of courses that you do. It's, a, it's extensive. So history mostly. Mm -hmm. And I saw that it goes all the way back to pre-1500s, right? Uh, I start with pre-contact history is what we call it. Gotcha. So. And then it goes all the way through U.S. founding, I would guess, and then um, all the way up to now. And then you also do a lot of uh, indige indigenous mm -hmm. uh, history as well. And I know that's right up Drew's alley. So yeah. that's pretty cool. Yeah, and I took a federal American Indian law class from you as well. Yeah. Um, and fellow Washington State University alumni. For you? Yeah, both oh. of us. You and me. Okay, yeah. exciting Cougars. Yeah, yeah. Go yeah, I moved up here. We figured out this year, eighteen years ago, uh, to go to WSU for two years, and <laughs> and I'm here. So, this this area draws people in and keeps them here. Yeah, yeah. Because you're originally from Pocatello area. Right? Yes. Yeah. 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 So did you? You originally went to like BSU or what? what I went to ISU. ISU. Unintentionally, um, my dad made me. I found out when I graduated from high school that that was it. Uh, but it worked out because my mom had gone there back in the seventies, and then she she dropped out actually for a decade, and she went back when I was in first grade. So she graduated from there in nineteen eighty nine, and I graduated in two thousand two. So that was kind of nice. ISU was a great school. And then went to WC for grad school, liked it there, so I kept kept there for both the master's and the PhD. Very cool. Then LC. And what did you write your PhD thesis on again? Um, my my dissertation was on legal history for the Shoshone Bannock tribe of southeastern Idaho, looking at water rights and agriculture and the Dawes Act and allotment and all of that. So long ago. Well, I was telling Drew, um, like I said, I didn't get to take many of that hum mm -hmm. the humanity stuff, and uh, I just have so little history in my background, and so that's what I'd like to start doing now is just getting 
history books and mm-hmm. just reading about history and trying to bone up on that because that's yeah. where I lack a lot of knowledge. And it's super important. And most people get their history outside of the classroom. So you are not the exception to the rule. You're more of the rule. Oh, Okay. And it's more fun, I feel like, that way. Do not tell students I just said that. It's more fun in my classroom. It's Super fun in classrooms. Yeah. But, yeah, that's that's a great way because then you get to pick and choose what you want mm-hmm. instead of whatever your faculty member wants. Well, I'll just, maybe you can give me a, a small list when we're done here. It would be kind of yeah. nice if I can get started. Yes. I also like to um, – I call it pairing because I like to drink wine um, – <laughs> I like to pair a good fiction and a nonfiction book together oh, yeah. to explore it in a very different way. So that's that's one of, I think, maybe my trademarks in classes, too. Mm-hmm. So I will recommend usually two things to go together. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, very cool. So you moved to the Valley and you started teaching at LC right away or you, you finished up school and, and then came? And so <laughs> my path to LC... I met my husband my final year of graduate school, mm-hmm. and and we hit it off instantaneously. And if you know Joel, he's amazing. And I was applying for jobs everywhere with the goal of working in Tennessee so I could be creepy at Graceland. And he's a journalist, and those jobs don't hire very much. So when the LC job popped up, I put all my energy into getting that job so that he wouldn't have to give up his career for me. And we lived in Moscow for the first five years of LC for me. And I just commuted down. And I say commuted down. It's like a 40-minute drive. My sister commutes two and a half hours each way, each day. Um, And then the commute just wore on me too much. And I had young kids. So we moved down here in 2013. And it was a bigger change than I thought it would be in my life. So... Oh, from Moscow? Yeah. yeah. In Moscow, um, I was anonymous. I No one knew what I did for a living. I was the lady who usually had a dog and coffee, and that's all that people knew about me. I, You know, here I run to students everywhere, uh, which changes my community dynamics. Not as much now that my kids are older, but I remember my youngest would throw tantrums in public, and I was like, this is it. <laughs> Hello, students. I'm a mom. Um, so it was very different. And I walk everywhere. Like Driving over here today felt weird. I drive maybe once every three weeks. Yeah. So I like that. I like the walkability of Lewiston for where I live and for what I do. So that's nice. Yeah, that is nice. Yeah. I do a lot of walking, but living up here, I can't really walk to anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, my whole world is Normal Hill and downtown. So that's not so bad. Yeah, and I like architecture, and there's great, weird, very eclectic architecture on Normal Hill, so yeah. I'll say. Yeah, and there's also the yeah. Civic Theater, which we just did an episode about your, oh, uh, two I love episodes ago. Yep. Yeah. The Civic Theater, the the old building or the theater itself? The theater itself, and we touched a little bit on okay. the structure, but, yes, but yes. Not, not too much. Yeah. The, the Civic, when we made our list of whether or not to move down here, our pros and cons, the Civic factored really high on it. And that was before my daughter got into it because the theater is her world now. So oh, that's it, right. it just, I just wanted to go to things. Mm-hmm. And now the theater dominates a lot of our lives. Not, not so much right now during the pandemic, but. Right. Yeah. Uh, the, we talked to the executive director, uh, uh, Nancy. Nancy. Yeah. yeah, she's wonderful. We are so lucky. Yeah, she was great, and she said they might. They're thinking about trying to do an outdoor show at some point. Um, and I, th- I feel like it's the, the last weekend of July. Every summer we do some production up there, which is wonderful. The worry now. I mean, obviously, with audiences, and we can't have people rehearse together. So we're looking almost like at a vaudeville-type thing mm-hmm. where it's either individual performances or people who live together. We have quite a few um, spouses and partners, so we can do that. Yeah. But it kind of depends. Things things were looking good a few weeks ago. Things aren't looking as good like right. this weekend. So I have not been uh, keeping track too much. 
um, the last couple weeks. So yeah, it's hard. Yeah, yeah. There's so at a, some point you just have to yeah. stop for a while. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And there's just so much other stuff going on as well besides yeah. COVID, unfortunately. Yeah. Definitely. My yeah. husband just works at the paper, so I hear it all. Even right. if I try to shut off the news, I can't. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, back on um, the Civic Theater for just mm-hmm. a moment, um, we were trying to talk a little bit more about the history of the building. Mm-hmm. And um, Nancy, unfortunately, didn't know a heck of a lot. But I think you know quite a bit about the building. Or I, know, I know some, only because I'm on the Historic Sites Review Board for right. Idaho. And uh, we met here two years ago and we were supposed to do a tour of it three years ago um whenever it closed down it was that fall four years ago gosh i'm a, i'm a historian i don't deal with present very well um so i i boned up a little bit on that and then we couldn't take a tour because it had just been condemned it has been four years um so you know i have the basic broad strokes of it yeah. that it was well, a church well, then, yeah wasn't it built by like wasn't he a relatively famous church uh, builder? He was. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but yeah. he had a pretty specific style, mm-hmm. and he was relatively expensive, and we got him for a bargain. We, I wasn't alive, Lewiston, um, the congregation, and it's it's beautiful. It is, I think, the most beautiful building in the valley. Yeah, it is, yeah. It is pretty amazing if you've been in there. And- yeah. When you go inside, the balcony is really cool, and yeah. it, it does have sort of a, a vibe to it when you're inside. Uh-uh. Yeah. Cool. Um, that building. We yeah. bought our house. Our house is a block away, and that factored in. We right. wanted to be able to walk to work, walk to the theater, and for our kids to walk to the high school. So mm-hmm. we're down to one of three now. Yeah. Well, and and that, like you said, that area does have some pretty amazing <laughs> architecture and really, really neat homes. It does. Yeah. It does. That's where my first house was, was uh, 7-Eleven, 6th Avenue. So, oh, yeah. you were right by there. You were right there. Oh, I, I, th- I walked by your house now. every day. Yeah, Yeah, it's yellow now. They, the people who bought it took really good care of it. Ah. Um, but that was cool. But I'm, I haven't lived there since um, 98, so okay. it's been a while. Yeah, I live up on 7th Avenue on the 900 block, so oh, nice. yeah. You could have been neighbors. So yeah. close. <laughs> I feel like everyone has lived in that neighborhood at some point, though. Yeah. yeah. Diana I, Ames lives a block away. Oh, I don't oh, know really? if I should say that. <laughs> I yeah. lived, I lived what on, was that address again? Yes. <laughs> I lived on 9th Ave the entire time I was in college, for the most part. Um, nice. Sort of right in between the high school and the college. So yep. that was nice, again, for walkability. I could just walk to class yep. pretty often. It's so nice. Yeah, and I just love that little area. Um, all the trees are really great. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Deesner lives around that area he as does. well. Yeah. Yep. Well, for faculty to live close to the colleges is a big deal. Yeah. It's yeah. really nice. It's, you know, this last spring we got a puppy because I turned 40, so I begged for a puppy, and I got her. And it was nice to live just a few blocks from campus when she was puppy training. Right. So I could zoom home after classes, let her out, go back mm-hmm. to work, and it wasn't a problem. And um, I, you know, on campus, I work, I always say, at the far end of campus. It's not a big campus, but as I walk through to go home, to, I go home for lunch every day. I see a lot more people that way. And that's really nice because otherwise I'm in my classroom and I'm in my office all day. So just being out and walking through and I think it's nice for the community members to see people out and about too. Mm-hmm. I love seeing people walking around or just out. Mm-hmm. You're right. It's, I don't know, it feels good. Yeah. Yeah. And we have such a driving centric culture, I guess, in, yeah. in the valley. It is kind of nice to see that people just go out and walk around Especially now people are getting out of their houses because everybody's been cooped up. People talk to each other more. I sit on my porch every day. I have what I call front porch cocktail hour. And when people walk by, I probably scare them, but I holler at them because I miss humans. And so I want to talk to people. And when you walk, you notice more about, like, we've gotten gardening ideas as we walk every day. I, I love looking at the houses. If you drive by, you just miss it. So... We t- I take three or four walks a day now. 
Yeah. yeah. Get real close. Look in the windows. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah. They like that. <laughs> I could probably get away with that easier than both of you could. Oh, yeah. I don't yeah. do that, though. I, no, it was a joke. Yes, Satire, yes, everybody. yes. Um, so uh, has, where did where did you start? When did you decide that, man, I really like history. I want to go to school for it. I want to I want to continue doing it. I want to make it my life. Mm-hmm. When, when did that kind of start for you? Uh, In high school, I took AP history, and apparently I was the only student in the class who loved our teacher, but I loved her. I gave her an awful nickname because I was mean, but I loved her so much, and she had us do really cool assignments. We did a radio show, um, and I loved it. So when I started at college, history was my minor because I was told your major needs to be your job. Your minor should be your passion. So I was majoring in advertising and public relations, and found that I liked my history classes more. And I met with my minor advisor, and he was a visiting professor, so he was only there for two years. And he said, I'm a paid storyteller. That's what I do for my job. I thought, good God, I love to talk. Um, I love captive audiences, and I love history. That's, That's it. So I swapped over to history and picked up a women's studies minor and said goodbye to advertising. And... That was it. My sister was also a history major, so we took a few classes together. I liked American history. She likes uh, medieval English history. Um, But she went on to law school, so we took some different paths. Right. So ultimately, what led you to um, write what you wrote your dissertation about when you decided to come up to WSU? Did you Uh, already have that sort of in mind, or were you working with faculty up there already? No. So as an undergraduate, my mentor was Dr. Laura Woodworth-Nye, who is now the one of the vice presidents. I can't remember her title at ISU. And I took um, an American West history course from her. And her assignment was find a newspaper in the West, she didn't care which one, and get five dates. They have to be the same year, but just choose five random dates and find a history story to tell from it. And uh, ISU was in the midst of its centennial. Um, It was founded in fall of 1901, so we celebrated it for that whole year. And this was fall of 2001, and I was graduating in spring of 2002. So I thought, well, I'll look at 1902 to see what was going on then. And I grabbed June because my birthday's in June. And one of the dates I happened to grab, yes, it was two weeks ago now. Um, I grabbed June 17th, 1902, and it was completely random. I, I grabbed my birthday and a few other days. And it was on the land rush onto Fort Hall, where the federal government opened up the Fort Hall Indian Reservation for white settlement, and it was also the date that the Reclamation Act went in. Um, those were actually purposely chosen by the, the land rush people. So I wrote my paper on that, and she said, this is good. Explore it further for your your senior project. So I did. And then I went off to grad school to study women's history. And Laura had actually gone to WCU, and she was the one who recommended it to me. And they had one of the nation's leading experts in women's history. So I was supposed to work with her. So I had my master's thesis all planned, and then she got a sabbatical. And she went to Yale for her sabbatical, and she said, I'm not going to direct a thesis from back there while you're over here. Find someone new. And that's not how grad school goes. So I'm roaming up and down the hallways trying to find someone to take me on as a student after I'd already been there for a semester and a half. So I went to the first American history professor who was pop culture, and he said, I already have too many students. I can't take you on. Go talk to this person who did environmental history. I went in. He said he was far too busy. He was actually leaving. We didn't know that at the time. He had applied for and accepted another position. So I went to a third one. I had never had him before, and his specialty was American Indian history. Um, and he took me on, but he said, I'm not going to do women's history. It's not my specialty. I can't help you what do you know about American Indian history? And I said, oh, my senior project was this. And he said, there it is. Explore that further. And it just became my life for essentially the next six years because my thesis, 
my thesis was just on those initial years around the land rush. And then for the dissertation, I, I went um, from 1890 all the way to 1928. So, And yet, Elsie hired me as a women's historian because that, that remained my specialty, even if it wasn't my research specialty. Yeah, yeah. So it's why I have such an... Well, and at Elsie, we have so few history professors um, that you have to teach whatever, so... That's why I'm teaching women's history and federal Indian law and then pop culture and whatever else is needed right. every semester. Yeah, and that's that's a cool story. That's a, yeah. that's a great connection. Um, and, and it really reminds me of my time being a student mm-hmm. under you when, when you talk about American Indian policy and how that is American history, mm-hmm. um, like in a nutshell, because it's all tied together in a way that a lot of people don't recognize. Um and I think, especially now, with these times and and the crazy political atmosphere that we live in, and um, people sort of looking back in time and saying, you know, we have been really messing up forever. We haven't made these changes, and more people are realizing that the American Indians as well mm-hmm. haven't had their fair, I guess, look at 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 what the atrocities have been against them as well. Yeah. Um, well, but, and even finding some space for them in this whole movement that's occurring yeah. now yeah. too is pretty important. Absolutely. Uh, at the protests last Saturday, one of the speakers uh, was a Nez Perce leader, a woman, and she said, "This is all of us here. We have to deal with this." It was a really powerful moment. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And you kind of specialize a little bit in your uh, pop culture since the mid nineteen hundreds. Yeah. I'm of course referring to the king. Yes, and uh, I think he's gonna you, come out. Uh, well, yeah, I was gonna say I think you you enjoy Elvis as much or more than the next person. I think. I, I think it's pretty well known on campus and getting more so in the community that I'm the crazy Elvis lady, and and I'll say this because my kids think I'm so creepy, and I tell them I, amongst my people, amongst Elvis people, I'm on the sane side. I really, really am. I've been to some creepy Elvis people houses. I think mine is is more s- little tame com- in comparison. Ah, uh, it's pretty it's pretty out there, but <laughs> he makes me happy. Uh, I love him a great deal, and it infiltrates every aspect of my life. I don't even know if you remember this, but uh, you remember Bryce Smedley was was in town for a little bit. He mm-hmm. t- taught at LC for a minute. And there was something going on at Cafe Ruben one time, and he said, and I was playing music there, and he said, there's going to be someone there named Amy, and she loves Elvis. So you have to learn an Elvis song. And so I did, and I played it, and uh, yeah, it was kind of fun. I had a good time. Did well, I go talk to you? I think I went and talked to you I afterwards. Did, I was yeah. pretty excited. It was, yeah. it was at the uh, inauguration. That's right. Uh, 2016. Morning. <laughs> I don't, and that's with the O U. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember what we called that. Yeah, uh, his music's great, and it's just fun, and and he's a, he's an interesting person. Yeah, I don't know too much. I mean, I know a bit. I mean, my grandpa really enjoyed uh, his music, and so we'd listen to his music and watch his movies when mm-hmm. they were on TV. And I think that was uh, that's pretty cool. I mean, some of his movies were were fun. You'd go from military to surfing and. <laughs> Yep. All over and uh, singing in between. Cliff diving, race car driving. His movies are weird. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it, you know, Facebook memories popped up three years ago today. We were going to Dollywood because um, that's where we take our kids on vacation because why wouldn't we? <laughs> but that trip, we flew into Nashville, drove three hours to go to Dollywood, which is over in Pigeon Forge on the eastern side of the state. Then we drove back across the state six hours to go to Memphis and I was just telling my husband, that was like the greatest vacation that the kids got, you know, their three days at an amusement park. And then I got to take them to Graceland. And they had never been. And I've been quite a few times. But I that will stand out to me. I don't think they enjoyed it a huge amount. But it was like part of my soul was there and taking my kids there. It was just so nice. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. So... You you said that you're part of uh, 
the Idaho, what, what is it, the Idaho Historical Board? Or what? It's the Historic Sites Review Board. Historic Sites Review Board. So when did you get involved with that? And, and can you talk about sort of what, what it is that you do within that board? So I think this is my third year on it. And I the, the role of the Historic Sites Review Board is to review all the nominations for uh, historic districts, historic landmarks, all of those. And I had just been hired, actually, by the Nez Perce tribe to write a nomination for a a cultural property for them, the Rapid River property. And most of the nominations are 10 pages. Mine was, I think, 180 pages (laughs) because there was a lot of story to it. And the the, uh, state... um, historian or the state historic preservation officer invited me to be on the board so I was appointed typically we meet twice a year we just changed it to once a year we actually met last Friday now last Saturday was the day of the protest and we had to do it via zoom Um, but it's people from all over the state with very different backgrounds right now there's two of us who are historians there's two historical archaeologists uh one historical architecture person and interior designer, all sorts of different backgrounds, so that we can look at each nomination from very different disciplines. And it's great. Um, Between that and the Idaho Humanities Council, which is another board that I'm on, I've learned more about different places in Idaho that I just want to go to and to take my kids to. And Um, different histories than what we were taught in school in fourth grade Idaho history class. Like this is the nitty gritty of the actual people who lived here. It's, it's one of my favorite things. Yeah. So that's really cool to learn that you didn't necessarily have to be based out of Boise or that they, they sort of disperse everyone throughout the state. That's one of their big goals, that we each bring some of our uh, regional knowledge, too. So when we get nominations from anywhere in north-central Idaho, I can go out and actually see it and report back to them, uh, because all the nominations have to be really well documented, including with photographs. And if I go out, I'm like, oh, they didn't photograph this part of the property because it's falling down. It's, It's important to know, but that actually hasn't come up. It's usually just for my own interest that I'll go out. Um, and typically, we meet all over the state. We we met up in Sandpoint a few years ago. We met here. We actually stayed out at St. Gert's when the board came here because that just seemed really fun. We were supposed to be in Pocatello this year because Pocatello's downtown is um, reinventing itself and in doing a lot of what our downtown is doing, taking these historic buildings and reinventing them. Uh, we're going to aim to do that now next year, but... That's been great, too, because then we all drive around and we go on tours whenever we're anywhere together. We went on a tour of the Liberty Theater while we were here and got to go into the basement and dig through there. And it was before the second floor of the library opened when we were here. So the former executive director walked us through as they were working on that. And we got to see all sorts of weird, cool things in there. Wallpaper from a bordello, all sorts of stuff. It's it's just a cool group. Yeah, yeah, that sounds amazing. Yeah, and I mean, I guess that probably ties into your public history course, which mm-hmm. I would recommend if you're ever going to teach that in the near future. Um, that was absolutely one of my favorite classes that I took in college. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think just for anybody that's not from the Valley to take that is really important as well, because you really get to learn a lot about Lewiston that mm-hmm. a lot of people just take for granted, that it's just sort of the sleepy little town, and it is, but it does have a fantastic history, just like every sleepy little town. And the class that you were in, the big project that we did, were those um, downtown boxes, the traffic boxes, and right. I don't know if you've seen, they've they've started to finish those off because we hit some hiccups when we did it. Outside of our class, there were some right. other issues at play. Um, but she's gotten some more grant money, so you can see those as you walk through downtown. I think five of them are up now. Oh, very cool. Yeah. yeah I'll have to keep my eyes peeled the next time I go by. And um, the box that I wrote about was Casey's, and then we actually did our very first episode of this show about Casey's. Nice. Uh, yeah, so that was that was really fun. I don't it, think that one's up yet. Yeah, I think they're I don't think so. closer to like the Center for Arts and History side mm-hmm. of downtown. And by she, you're referring to Courtney Kramer of yes. beautiful downtown Lewiston, right? Yes. Yeah. Courtney's awesome. Um, I've been fortunate enough to get to work with 
Courtney on a fundraiser that I do with the Tribune every year. This year, looks like we're not going to do it, of which course. Which fundraiser is that? Um, so we combined my fundraiser, which was Smash the Skate, with uh, which is a fundraiser that benefits the skate park, mm-hmm. um, with uh, what was formerly the Capitol Street Dock concert that, oh, that the Tribune right. used to have. Yeah. And now it's called Bargin Fest. Yes. Yeah. So it's a multi-venue uh, yeah. thing that happens every summer, but I don't know. I haven't I haven't reached out to anybody lately, so maybe we'll postpone it I'd, or just uh, yeah. try to do it next summer. But a lot of my projects are on hold this summer too, so yeah. I feel you. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's a it's a bummer, but um, I was happy at least on our side of things with the fundraiser that we were able to pay off the skate park, which was our ultimate goal. Yeah. So that was cool. But yeah, Courtney's. Awesome. Yeah. She's got a lot of energy and really gets a lot of stuff yeah. done. And I look up to her a lot. And her background's historic preservation. Right. So if I really want to take, I'll just do a plug for BDL because I think they're such an amazing group. They're doing their downtown properties, properties with potential, I can't remember what it's called, tour. I am not going to rent an apartment downtown. Um, I'm not going to buy a business or start a business. I'm totally taking that tour just because I want to walk through the buildings with Courtney and yeah. hear her talk about their history and just, yeah, I love our downtown so much. Mm-hmm. So Yeah, and I mean, just as an interested person it would be great to take that if they did offer that just for individuals to go check that out because it would be cool hey do you want to know how you can get the old spiral podcast uninterrupted check out our new patreon account from now on you can get the same show you know and love without being interrupted by commercials we would really appreciate the support and if you would head to patreon.com slash old spiral podcast now back to the show been at LCSE for how long now? I was hired fall of 08. Okay, I think that's, yeah, you said that earlier. Um, They're going through some changes at the moment, and not fun ones. My brother-in-law teaches in the English department, Bryce Cameras. I don't know if you ever run into him, but, uh, and then they're kind of at a, at a hiring freeze, so it's the community college, so right when I get done with school, yeah. there, nobody's hiring anymore. So, um, that's nationwide that affecting you at all. I mean, it, some people are affected more than others, but, um, it hasn't personally affected me. I still have my job. Uh, some of my friends don't, and that's going to be hard. I think the students are going to fill it this fall. We're going to, you know, the motto has been do more with less. We're not sure how it's going to roll, and it's it's rolling out at a at a hard time for students anyway. When when so much is up in the air for what what are classes going to be like this fall, how do we how do we adjust to this new world that we're living in in a safe way for students? Um, how do we? I mean, you've both been in classrooms there. We have to socially distance our students. I'm going to be teaching with a mask on. I I don't know how that's going to work. Um, will we be going to online if things get bad again? A lot of our students are non-traditional students who have kids. If their kids are going to school, I mean, they're already out there in this Petri dish of Lewiston. How does that change things? So there's there's a lot up in the air right now. Yeah, um, I, I can't even plan for my classes this fall. We've been given some guidance, but... As we've seen this whole pandemic, things change daily. So I'm holding off on prepping because what might be best practices right now maybe won't be in another month and a half. Yeah. Yeah. So has there been any sort of concern or have they heard any students that are like in the middle of a degree that live, let's say, in Seattle? Have they voiced any concern about coming back to campus once once the fall semester starts? I haven't heard that yet. Um, what what I'm hearing for concern for students is um, what will it be like in the midst of the semester? Are we gonna, you know, in the midst of the spring semester, we went over the weekend to an online world. They're worried about that happening again. Some may not like online learning, which I get. I I prefer being face to face too. But I guess my advice is for students, because I've heard some students saying, well, if it's going to be all online, I'm going to take some time off. 
but what are you going to do during that time? I mean, if you're if some jobs are shut down, you're sitting at home. Might as well use that time to keep going on your education, and take the classes. Still, that's the beauty of of LC. Um, whether they're hybrid, face to face, or online, I don't know. We are ending the semester face to face early. We won't have any more face to face classes after Thanksgiving, because idea is we don't want students to go home for Thanksgiving, then come back from wherever they went to, bringing something back and. Classes will still be going online, uh, going on online for those last few weeks, but we just won't have them on campus. And then we're starting face-to-face in the spring two weeks late. The semester is starting at the same time, but for the first two weeks, we're doing it all online with the, the thought, again, of kind of flattening things out after all those family get-togethers over the holidays. So have they talked at all about being able to host the research symposium? Next year, or they is that still kind of up in the air? I haven't heard anything on that because this year it was canceled. Sure. Uh, some divisions did things their own way. Our, our division, we didn't do any presentations. I mean, I guess it depends on a vaccine. Mm-hmm. And even my 10-year-old my keeps saying that. When are we going to get the vaccine? When can I go back to life as normal? I, I don't understand vaccines, so I can't tell her. Um, so all that depends. I don't know what it means for sports this fall i don't know what it means for like the acting classes i i think our choir is on hold right now it's it's such a different time and i keep thinking i i mean obviously i know about historical events similar to this i never thought i'd be living through one right Mm -hmm. um that's what gets me thrown each time and then every time I'm a baby about things because I'm an extrovert and I like to go to things I'm an events person my husband's actually loving all this because it shut my schedule down where I'm home every night but I I I can still connect to people I'm I'm online I can message students I you know I time um, with friends I do Facebook messenger I Still, I'm in contact, and it's still hard. I can't even imagine 100 years ago that toll. And and I wonder if this will change how I teach, because I had just taught about the flu of 18 and 19, 1918 and 1919, two weeks before the shutdown occurred. And I think I get the human element of it a lot more. I mean, it seems so abstract then. Now I get what it's like to go into lockdown. And I'm in a privileged lockdown. And I totally know that. It's still really hard. Yeah, absolutely. Even this summer with my kids trying to find events. They've always done kids college, kids college, no more. Uh, They've always done the, the civic theater summer kids program. That's not happening this summer. Um, Playgrounds are open, but you know, that's dicey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, swimming pools, the beaches. We went to the beach one time and it was really full. So we went a couple miles further upriver to an area that was not a beach and it was not very fun. And they're bored. And my husband said, well, make it like an old fashioned summer for them. They can be out riding their bikes. And I said, yeah, but in an old fashioned summer, they'd have like their herd of friends with them. Now it's the two of them and their sisters. So they don't always enjoy each other as much as I might hope. Right. It's weird. Yeah. It is definitely different. Even even when, you know, now that things are opening back up a bit, mm-hmm. it's still kind of weird to go out and, you know, and it's that balance between you got to open up your business. Mm-hmm. And if we open up our business, what was the whole point? In the first place, yeah. right? You know, and it's just tough, and, and I'd hate to be a decision maker. Yeah. I mean, we flattened the curve, which was one of the goals, but things are jumping back up. So yeah, uh, <laughs> it's, it's strange. So what was that transition like for you going online? Was that super difficult? I imagine because it came it, out of nowhere. I'm sure were there, it, did they have really protocols hard. for you or? Not not exactly. So I've taught online before. I usually teach one online class per semester, and I prefer face-to-face. This spring, none of my classes were online. 
and we teach a four four load. So I had four classes that all four had to go online. One of them I had taught online before, so I could pull some of those resources together. But for the other two of them, uh, it was History 112, which is the second half of American history. I'd never had that online. So to put all my resources online, and there's a lot of photos for that class because it's 20th century. There's a lot of video clips that I play and music. Figuring that out was really difficult. Um, deciding how to operate, um, I went with asynchronous where I didn't have my class forced to meet every day at the same time. Uh, I taught at 7.30 a.m. A lot of my students were parents who were now at home with their kids. Many of them had to share their bandwidth with their kids or their spouses or just trying. I mean, I was getting up at 4 a.m. to try to get as much of my work done as possible before my kids got up because then I was homeschooling them, which it turns out I am not good at. I think a lot of people are finding that out. Yes. Um, my daughter said it was going to be so much fun. And I, you know, I don't know how to teach math to a fifth grader. I couldn't remember fifth grade math. So trying to balance all that, I just thought that's going to be too hard for some of my students. And I had a designated office at my house. And we were lucky enough for my husband, he took over my painting studio for his office. We had separate spaces. A lot of my students didn't have that. So they're trying to do their classrooms and video conference with faculty in their dining room with all their roommates running around trying to do the same thing or with their families. It was really hard. Another class I taught this spring was a public history projects course. We split the public history class now where one course is just the readings and the other one is three credits where we do a project because we found out that it was too hard to do them both in one semester. And it was women's suffrage and the students were doing hands-on projects for women's suffrage. Um, those got canceled. We were supposed to unveil a mural that my students researched and our art professor, Ray, was going to paint it over the summer. Ray can't do that. He's spending his whole summer figuring out his classes for fall. The library was shut down because we were going to do it at the library. Uh, the students were also researching some things for the Lewiston Civic Theater because we were going to put on women's suffrage plays. The suffrage plays got canceled. They were supposed to host a reception, which apparently now that's just my MO. My receptions just don't happen because something <laughs> happens every semester I try. Um, so to swap them over online, we finished the readings, and then it was like there's nothing else we can do. This is a hands-on class. We're in a hands-off world right now. It, it took a toll. It was a hard semester, and I felt that my role became less as a history professor and more as a counselor for a lot of my students who were really struggling. Um, yeah, well, my wife is a counselor, and so oh, yeah. it's uh, yeah, it was it's rough. She's at the junior high, Jennifer. Oh yeah, and yes, the transition was not fun. Yeah, not fun. And and they were just they're flailing around. Some of them had to move home. Uh, some of my students were taking care of younger sisters or brothers suddenly mm -hmm. and feeling isolated. And and with the loss of that schedule, uh, I think that was shocking to a lot of them. My, my best friend is actually a counselor at a junior high in Spokane, and she is just reeling from everything that she's seen. And she doesn't even know how to help some of her students yeah. at all. It's been hard. It is hard. It's hard. Well, on a on a brighter note, um, could you just talk about maybe some of the courses that you teach? We mentioned like public history, and um, the thing that I always really enjoyed about your courses is the level of attention to detail. The the all of the time that you spend preparing everything, and like you said, including photos and video clips when you can. Um, could you talk about just some of your favorite? courses that you teach and, and what those look like? So my favorite is going to be history of popular culture because it gives me a week to talk about Elvis. It's all <laughs> that I give him. I start the class in 1930. I make it up as far as I can, which is usually I say about Star Wars time, 1977. And it just looks at how to use popular culture, film, um, TV, music, books, a little bit sports. It's not my area of specialty how we can use it to see history in a different way because popular culture 
shapes how we see the world and it reflects what's going on. So I think it's a fun way for students to view history. We can document what women were going through in the 1950s by looking at TV shows that are upholding very rigid ideas of what women should be as compared to films of that same time, which actually give more of a realistic expectation. So I love that class. Uh, I teach a women in the 20th century course, and I define 20th century as starting after the Civil War and going up to present day. So it's the long 20th century and have students see the changes women faced at the time, how their perspectives and how society's perspectives of women changed during that time period. Uh, I love that class. It That one vies with pop culture for my favorite. Last fall, I taught a civil rights course. Uh, I co-taught it with our music professor, Sarah Graham. So she brought the music aspect and I brought history because the civil rights movement depended on music in a lot of ways. We started it back in colonial times. We didn't just deal with 1950s, 1960s civil rights. These have been arguments that have been going on since the founding of our nation, and we took it up through Black Lives Matter. It it was a really good class and a very interdisciplinary examination. We're hopefully teaching it again this spring. And uh, women's history. I it's an awkward class to teach because it's all U.S. women's history in one semester. And the rest of U.S. history, we break it all up. Even in the surveys, you teach up to 1865, then a second semester, 1865 to the present. But women's, they throw it all in together in one semester. So to go from pre-contact to the present day. But I think that's another one of my favorite classes, to see how women actively shaped history and the important roles that they've played in the nation, in their communities, and in their families as individuals, I think is is a great one to teach too. Yeah, yeah, and I, I've taken a couple of those. Um, and I mean, they, like I said, were some of my favorite classes. I think another thing that is just great about you as a professor is it's clear that you're passionate about the things that you're teaching, which is really refreshing. Um, did you sort of feel that passion immediately for teaching when you came to LC or did it sort of take a while to get used to, to doing that? Or did you already have some classes that you taught in grad school and you're kind of used to it or how did that work? I taught for my last three or four years of grad school. Usually you only teach for your last two, but we had a weird blip in, in some students. So they had some of us start teaching early and yeah, I've I've always liked public speaking. I, it's just, I don't know. My dad, I told you, was a DJ and an announcer. My mom was a teacher. So I grew up being very comfortable in front of audiences. So that was, that was an easier part for me. It was learning how to make things more concise and sustained. I mean, you know, history, it's all encompassing. To direct it correctly in class is really hard. And you see in class where I am most interested because, you know, maybe we don't cover the bank wars of the 1830s as closely as maybe other professors would. But my God, I will go in depth on the the role of uh, changing voter qualifications in the 1820s. I'll hit on that for two days. And I get really excited in class, and students know when I'm really excited because I talk faster, and my, my voice goes up in, in pitch, and there's typically weird things happening in my PowerPoints. Um, and I teach the same classes a lot, so it's also about keeping me entertained, too. So there's... You got to do that a little bit. Yeah. There's always, like, some Elvis references in there, which I was <laughs> a little bit notorious for in history of federal Indian policy that I could work Elvis in every single day <laughs> into seemingly unrelated topics. Uh, I I really do enjoy it. And I think that's why I like the face-to-face more with students because I can interact with them and I can read the room and see what's going on. In the online classes, um, it's just a little bit harder. You know, you're responding for the most part uh, through written communication, which is really good. I think for students, it, it hones their writing abilities. But when I'm putting something out there for them, I can't get an immediate reaction. I don't know exactly how it's being responded to in the moment. So that gets a little bit harder. But I I do love telling stories. So it's just fun 
to do that and get paid for it every day and to see students get interested in something or to see the light go on in a student's uh, eyes when they figure out this mattered, this changed this, this we still see the consequences of today. And I always say history isn't just what happened. Anyone can tell you what happened. My, my 10-year-old kid can tell you what happened. That's not history. That's the past. History is explaining why it happened and why it mattered. And to walk students through that and to see them figure out how to do that on their own, it's, it's the best part of my job. Mm-hmm. I know you uh, applied at LC, you know, to for your husband's job mm-hmm. or, or whatever, but it seems like you've enjoyed your time here um what about lc i mean i know it's got that low student to teacher ratio and and it's kind of a nice area but what are some of the things that you've enjoyed about teaching so you know geographically i applied to lc because my husband's job but when i was applying for jobs nationally i was looking for schools just like lc i wanted a small liberal arts college i didn't want to be at a big university i had attended some of those and I didn't want to be the faculty member in front of a room of 100 or 200 students. I wanted to get to know my students really well. I wanted to be in a smaller community. I like visiting big cities, but I don't like to live in them. Um, so it was just fortuitous that this job opened up here. It was exactly what I was looking for. Um, I think... And I'm biased because I work there, but I think we have the most beautiful campus in the States, our University of Idaho, (laughs) although theirs is lovely too. I love, I mean, walking across our campus in the fall or in the spring, it's just gorgeous. And when you're out on our campus and you see faculty and students interacting and our staff, we all know our staff really well. Um, All the physical plant workers know me because of my crazy office and I see them as I'm walking to campus. I love the community that we've built at LC. I think it's it's really strong, which is, you know, this fall is going to be weird. This spring was weird, but we'll be back. And we know that we'll be back. And and we're not, not there this fall. It's just going to be a different situation. But I know when we come back, all of us, we're going to be so excited to see each other. I just, I love it. And I love at LC, you know, the... Eric Martin is the other history professor. Then we have one other who, and she only teaches a few classes for us now. So Eric and I do most of the history classes and we've agreed, you know, teach whatever you want. Elsie hasn't said you can only teach this. I go pitch an idea and say, I want to teach a class just on women's suffrage. And they go for it. Or I'm going to teach a class in civil rights. That seems necessary. I love the, the flexibility of that. I'm technically a 20th century historian. I love teaching the American Revolution. I love teaching, last fall I taught the Civil War. I love the flexibility that LC gives me for that. And the students who who come, I feel like, unless they're faking it for me, they want to be there. And they're excited to be there. So there's a lot to love about it. Yeah, I really enjoyed my time there. A lot. And the faculty do really put their time in with the mm-hmm. students, and they, they're able to, which is outstanding. And we have really smart, talented faculty members as far as the research they've done, how knowledgeable they are, and their ability to teach. It just is outstanding. It yeah. really is. Yeah, I mean, I, I And the smell of the dogwoods yeah. Yeah. when you're walking through, and they yeah. when they finally bloom, mm-hmm. it just smells so nice. Yeah. I always looked forward to the owls that would hang around on the, around the library as well. And I always see those guys. I did yeah, not look again, forward to not that. Not the birds yep. for you so yeah. much. That's okay. <laughs> I like that we have a college cat who comes and oh, visits. Oh, yeah. That was so great. I love that. And I love, you know, I walk my dogs through there all the time. And for my kids, I mean, I, I live three blocks away from campus. They've grown up on that campus. They both learned to ride their bikes there because it was flat. Mm-hmm. I live at the top of a tall hill. Uh, the sidewalks are smooth. They're not going to get hit by a car. And they, they know that campus inside and out. And I think that's one of the important things for a lot of first-generation students who didn't see themselves on college campuses. We need to get them on there to feel comfortable. I grew up partially on a college campus because my mom went back to school when I was a kid. 
and we were poor. She couldn't afford to get a babysitter for me, so I went with her. And I spent so many nights in the university library while she was doing homework or researching. And I know that's where I fell in love with this world. And I, I want everyone who wants that opportunity to be able to have it. So I love, I love that. I mean, Elsie is such a fundamental part of this community. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, I think those are the questions I had. Um, oh, yeah? Yeah. Generally, we would say at this point, you know, who's your favorite musician? But uh, Yeah. Oh, his name's Elvis Presley. <laughs> How do you spell that? Yes. Has he done anything I've heard of? Um, He's done everything. So besides Elvis, what kind of music have you been into lately? Yeah. Uh, so I love 80s music. Um, like Depeche Mode and The Cure are my two favorites, and R.E.M. Mm. And and they're not confined to the 80s, but that's how I associate them. So I love that. Uh, I love 50s music. I love 50s rock, late 50s. I love girl girl girl. Excuse me, girl groups of the early 60s. Um, VNV Nation. Have you heard of them? I haven't. They're they're European band 21st century at least i really love them um but yeah and then last year for my 40th birthday we threw a 90s theme party for me and i had to make my whole 90s playlist and that was when i went to high school and i think your high school years are really informative so to make my 90s playlist i got back into the 90s music last year and that's typically uh, my husband and I jog together every morning, and that's what I listen to when we run. So it runs from, like, Nirvana to Britney Spears to <laughs> random things that just pop up in my my Ultimate 90s playlist. Yeah. And you said you had a, a painting room. Uh, what kind of painting do you like to do? I paint largely with oils. Uh, I'm afraid of watercolor, I'll say. Mm-hmm. Most of my paintings are Elvis. Fantastic. And I'm okay with that. And they, I've got one up in my office at work, but most of them are at home. And I paint big, too, so my canvases are typically really large. And I took two art classes from Ray on campus, which if, if you haven't taken an art class in college, like that's just something we should make everyone. It changed how I see the world. When I'm out on walks, I see everything so differently because of that. And Ray was just, he's the most fun professor on campus. And he just made me feel good about myself every day. And I told him, all I'm going to do is paint Elvis. And he at first tried to convince me that I needed to branch out. And then I think he just gave up that I wasn't going to. <laughs> but I'll paint, um, my dog died a few years ago, so I painted her and, and random other things in the house. I, I'm not creative enough to have a vision on my own. So I'm a copier. I'll see like a poster of Elvis and I just recreated the, my dog paintings of Tater were based on photos of her. And it's, I haven't done it all spring because my office has been taken over. I told him I'm booting him out soon. Uh, it's a north facing room that overlooks the clear water and, and the, the hill. So I get to see what I used to drive every day and it's kind of daunting. It's a really nice room and it just lets me escape for a while and and it's a room where no kids or animals are allowed so that's also nice yeah that does sound pretty pretty yeah. peaceful I, yeah. I oftentimes wish there was a room in my house where there were no dogs allowed at least yeah <laughs> since my husband's taken it over as his office his little dog has broken that rule every day and i've just kind of given up hmm well, um, I guess that's about it. I know you do your, your pairing, is what you called it. Any uh, favorite wines that you've been doing? Have you gone to the new winery yet? Uh, it's down by the... It's on the way to the casino, I think. There's a new winery. On the way to the casino. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's past the casino. Oh, is it past the casino? Yeah. Uh, like up towards Julieta. I haven't been there yet. Yeah. Uh, it's got a really nice name. I have Rivera not been there. Something. Yeah, one of my friends just went. She posted a really great photo. Oh, it looked beautiful. I have not been to that one. I'm a fan of Jovenea Cellars. Oh, yeah. Downtown. Their wine is some of the best, and I, they're just delicious, and it's it's a nice um, couple who owns it. And again, because I like to walk everywhere, I can do that one really easily. And then I, it also 
uh, confines, how much I can buy, because I have to haul it back up the hill. <laughs> right. I love Lindsay Creek, but um, Jovenea, any of their wines are are amazing. She had a new one this year, uh, Handyman. It's a red blend, and it's in honor of her father, and it's um, it's really good. Nice. We'll yeah. have to go try it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it was really fun getting to uh, to know you a little bit, especially because yeah. I didn't get to on campus. So I'm, I'm glad you were able to come in and talk with us. It was yeah. awesome. Thank you for inviting me. This is fun. This episode of the show was brought to you by our Patreon subscribers. Thank you so much to all of you for supporting the show. If you would like to become a Patreon subscriber, head over to patreon.com slash oldspiralpodcast. That's going to do it for this week, but the shows are not over. Get caught up on the backlog of episodes if you haven't already, and thanks for listening.